All right. Good morning, Faith Church. Good to see everybody today. Thanks so much for being here for one of our weekend worship experiences. We're excited you're here. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and it's just our privilege, man, to have you here. Our hope is that God's going to do something great in your life. To all of our regular tenders, our Faith Church family, and those who are watching online, man, welcome. It's great to have you guys here today. Hey, listen, man, I don't know, I know football was yesterday, but we're here for some Jesus. I'm pumped up today. I'm excited. Come on, somebody. It's all about the J-E-S-U-S, right? It's all about him. Let's give him some love today. Let's give Jesus some praise. Come on, let's get fired up. You guys are lame. So, hey, listen, well, we're in this series we're finishing today entitled The Core, which if you're a first-time guest here, you're newer to Faith Church, the reason this is important for you and it's a great time for you to be here is because it gives you kind of an overview. It gives you some insight into who we are as a church. That as a church, and in one way, we're like a lot of other churches, there are core beliefs that we have about who Jesus was, about the Bible, about God, that are you know pretty true for most churches. We believe that there is one God. We believe that Jesus Christ is his son, the savior of the world. We believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe those things, but our core values, it's, it's kind of defines who we are, defines how we function. It defines um, our calendar and our budget. Our four core values that we've been talking about through this series is reach, connect, grow, and serve. And so as we've gone through these, we just kind of have given some insight. So again, if you're new here, it just lets you know who we are, and maybe this is the church for you. If you're already a regular attender or a member of faith, this is just kind of a great overview because I want you to know what you're buying into. I want you to know that when you give, what your finances, what you're helping us to resource. I want you to know that when we do things, what it is that we're putting our energy and passion and talent into. Because we believe, we talked about in week one, serve, that I believe that God's created every single one of us with passions and talents and that when we give a slice of our most precious commodity, which is time, to serve here in the local church or to serve outside in our community, that it's by that that we glorify God, that we don't make life about us, we make life about Him. And that when you serve, you're influencing other people and ultimately setting yourself up for the day when you stand before Jesus. So we think serving is incredibly important. We talked about growing, that we said it this way, that growing people uh, or healthy people grow, which means this, that if you're really healthy, if you're healthy physically, like from this time you're a child, you grow. And the same is true in your spiritual journey, that if you're healthy spiritually, you're going to continue to grow, that you and I, we're going to grow and become more like Christ, that we're going to grow and our lives are going to evolve and change in a very healthy way. And last week, we talked about connect, that we believe that you can't do life alone that it's important that you have people in your corner, that people have your back, that you're on their side and they're on your side. And so last week we had hundreds of people show up and get connected in connect groups. Week one, we had hundreds of people show up and say, hey, I'm willing to serve. So for all of you that got involved in a, in a ministry by serving, for all of you that showed up and got involved in a connect group last week, man, I just want you to know that I celebrate you. I'm grateful for what you've done, grateful, because here's why, and this is what we believe. I believe with all of my heart that if every one of you in this room, that if you'll regularly attend one service, I believe if you'll get involved where you can pour out your blood, sweat, and tears, if you can pour your guts into a ministry in serving people, I believe if you'll get involved in one connect group where, again, where you can invest in relationships and people can invest in you, I believe that's how you'll get healthy. See, here at Faith Church, we don't have and we don't think discipleship is a class you go to. We believe it's a life that you live. It's not a destination. It's a process. And so today, I want to finish up this series 
talking about something that while at times can be uncomfortable, I think it is the most important core value that we have at faith. And let me, let me ask you this way. Do we have anybody in this room, do we have anybody who loves some Chipotle? I'm all about, let me just tell you right now, I'm all about some Chipotle. We've, I found out about Chipotle several years ago. You know, they came on the scene and you know, maybe you've heard of them. Maybe some of you guys have eaten there. But when I first heard about Chipotle, I just thought it was like another Taco Bell. And I'm not really a Taco Smell fan. And the Taco Smell is this. First you eat it, then you smell it. And I was like, you know, I'm not really a Taco Bell fan, so I'm probably not a Chipotle fan. Until, until someone actually had me eat a burrito from Chipotle. If you've never had one, let me just tell you that they're as big as your head which is amazing, and I, they take all fresh ingredients and wrap it in a smooth, silky, yet flaky tortilla. And I'm just telling you, it is absolutely life-changing. So we love it so much. Anytime we go to Huntsville, or this is true, almost anytime we go to Huntsville, we eat at Chipotle. I mean, there are great places to eat when you go there. You can eat at Connor's Steakhouse, which is like top of the top. You can eat at the Melting Pot. I mean, there's anything you can want in Huntsville. But when we go there, we're all about the Chipotle. In fact, we just went there Friday. My wife and I, we looked at each other. and You know, uh, a couple of our kids were with us. We're like, so where are we going to eat? <laughs> just kidding, Chipotle, fist bump. Because <laughs> it's all about the Chipotle. I mean, we, we love some Chipotle. And because I love Chipotle, I tell people about Chipotle. If people are going to hunt some, like, you're eating at Chipotle, right? Because, watch this, because I'm passionate about Chipotle. I'm all about preaching the Chipotle gospel. Uh-huh. Gospel means good news. And I'm just here to tell you, Chipotle is good news. Now, I, that's my good news, right? I mean, because here's why. Anytime you have a good experience, anytime something impacts you or influences you, we don't keep that to ourselves. We pass it on. We let other people know about a good experience we had. And it's not just true at restaurants. It's true at books we read. It's it's true about, right, movies we watch. It's true about shows on TV. It's true about all these areas of life that when we have a good experience, we don't keep that experience to ourselves. We share that experience with other people. My, uh, My wife and I write, like, one of the things I love in life, I love movies. And I love movies that make me laugh. I'm not really a romantic fan. Do we got any romantic people in the house? <laughs> so we're sitting Friday night. My wife and I, we actually come home from Huntsville, and my daughters and, and my wife, my three beautiful women in my, my life, we're sitting on kind of in our bedroom watching on our TV, watching this. I'm not really watching. They're watching this romantic movie. I could have kind of cared less, right? I'm Facebook, and I'm playing Phase 10 on my phone. I just, just didn't really care, right, because those kind of movies don't interest me eventually I just kind of faded out. Like I was, I could kind of hear what was going on, but like I was in the zone. Y'all feeling me? So the next day I wake up, my wife's like, oh, Steve, you missed it. It was such a great romantic movie. And so like at one point in the movie, my wife, when she's watching a romantic movie or a sad movie, my wife cries, not like, but I mean like tears coming down her face. And uh, so I know she's had an emotional moment. So I'm trying to tell her, babe, I said, how long did that movie last? It felt like it was like nine hours long. Like, stick some bamboo shoots in my nails already. Turn it off. And uh, so she's like, well, you watch dumb movies. I was like, well, what dumb movies exactly are you referring to? She's like, you watch all those dumb movies, and you watch them over and over. I was like, I said, well, like, what are you talking about? She's like, you want to talk about a dumb movie? Dumb and Dumber. I'm like, whoa, pump the brakes. <laughs> dumb and Dumber is classic Hollywood. I love Dumb and Dumber. I've seen Dumb and Dumber, like, I'm way too many times because I love movies that make me laugh. 
I said, I said, what else? She said, what about that one movie you watch? And, and I was like, which one? She said, you know, the one with Bill Murray. I was like, what about Bob? She's like, yeah, that's a dumb movie. I'm like, you better stop. <laughs> what about Bob is cla- I'm sailing. Baby step. Like, if you've never seen it, I love that movie, man. I just watched that movie over and over, and I'm howling at it. She's like, what about Uncle Buck? I'm like, listen, Uncle Buck is so good, they made a TV series about Uncle Buck. And so I just told her, I was like, listen, babe, I watch those movies over and over because I love to laugh. And when you laugh, you know your body releases endorphins. And endorphins strengthen your heart. It opens your arteries. I mean, it's healthy to laugh. I'm like, babe, I'm making myself healthy by watching these movies. I'm physically a better person because I've seen Dumb and Dumber. I said, what is a romantic movie? do for us, right? I mean, what's really, what's the benefit of a romantic movie? And she said, well, you went to bed too early and you didn't find out. (laughs) So I got the digitally remastered notebook to watch tonight. (laughs) But here's the thing, like, so I'll tell you, if someone's like, hey, are there some movies you like? Like, I'll tell you about movies. I like, do you know why? Because there are movies that I've had a good experience. And anytime somebody has a good experience, they share that good experience. Stranger Things on Netflix. Anybody rolling with some Stranger Things? Like, I'm just telling you, I've told people, like, you just need to check out that series, especially if you were raised, I was a teenager in the 80s, and some of you think, my goodness, he's that young, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's really old. Yes, I was a teenager in the 80s. But here's the thing, again, anytime we have a great experience, we don't keep that experience to ourselves. We share that experience with other people. And when you share a good experience with somebody, it doesn't make you flaky, It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you a fanatic. It doesn't make you a zealot. All it means is you've had a good experience, and you want other people to share in that good experience. And so the same thing is true to me when you think about the influence for me that Christ has had on my life. If I'm going to tell people about Chipotle, and I'm going to tell people about what about Bob, I'm just telling you that I have had an incredible life change experience with Jesus, and I'm going to tell other people who he is and what he's done. Now, so today, where we're going to end this series is on this core value, reach. Now, I know where some of you guys are. Some of you are like, you're ready for the door, because there's two things that makes church people nervous to talk about. I've been in ministry for 23 years, and the two things that I know, without a doubt, will keep people kind of at arm's distance is if you talk about money or you talk about evangelization. Because people don't want to give, and they don't want to witness. And I'm just here to tell you as your pastor, if you don't hear anything else I say, you need to hear this. If you want to move further, faster in your relationship with Christ, then get busy witnessing and get busy giving. Because they will stretch you and move you in incredibly healthy ways spiritually. But here's the thing is, for us to talk about reaching, I just want you to know, as a church, we are passionate about reaching people who are far from God. As a church, what we do is not so much about the insider as it is the outsider. In fact, we know some of the things we do, some of the songs we play, some of the lights we use, some of the things that we do, we know insiders and church people don't even particularly like. But the reason we continue to do it isn't to make you mad. It's because our heartbeat and our passion is reaching people who are far from Christ. It's all about reaching. Come on, everybody shout reach. We got to reach people who need Jesus. And that reaching, it doesn't start with my passion. It doesn't start with your passion. Reaching people starts with the passion that the Father has towards us. I mean, you think about it because, again, the Bible makes it clear that all of us are sinners. Every one of us in this room, we've, we've made choices and decisions in our life. And those choices and decisions, because they've dishonored God and been outside of God's plan and will for our life, it's moved us further and further away from it. 
And the Bible makes it clear that there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap that our sin has created. Like you can't be good enough. You can't give enough money. You can't be religious enough. There's nothing we can do to reach our creator. But here's the good news. Here is the gospel. Is that God loved you and I so much that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he died a sacrificial death. And he rose victorious that who Jesus is... And what he's done for every single one of us, we can have a new beginning, we can have our sins forgiven, and we can have a relationship with our creator through Christ. And I'm just telling you, I'm excited about that because I've experienced it. And because God is passionate about me. And because God is passionate about you. I just think that we should be passionate people about reaching lost people. Like, we, it should be who we are, and it is, and it drives our budget, and we, we invest resources in reaching people here in the Shoals and reaching people in the state of Alabama and reaching people in this country and reaching people all over the world. And, and so today, I want to spend a few minutes just kind of talking about this idea and this topic of reaching, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story. You can find it in the Gospel of John chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, or you have your smart device. I want to encourage you to open it up. John chapter 4 is a great story. In fact, because here's what it does. John chapter 4 kind of gives us some insight on a couple things. First of all, it lets us know right away how passionate Jesus is about reaching people. When you read this story, immediately you're going to find, like, like, that's who Jesus was. He was about reaching people who were far from him. And not only that, and here's the thing I really want you to see as we get to the end of this story, is that not only is the story about showing us Jesus' passion for people, but what happens to people who experience Jesus? Like we're going to find in this story, and it's a common theme throughout Scripture, that every time someone has an encounter, every time someone's influenced with God's love, like they leave and they immediately go and reach other people. And so here's the story we're going to look at. John chapter 4, if you have your Bible, in my Bible, probably most years, there's a subheading above John chapter 4, and this story is called The Woman at the Well. So just to let you know what it's about, it's about a woman, and anybody want to take a guess, an idea about where they're meeting at, they're meeting at the, the well, right, you got it. But here's where the story picks up, and right out of the gate, it's a very controversial story. The Bible tells us that Jesus is hanging out in an area, in a region of the Middle East called Judea. And because of some things happening, Jesus makes a decision to go from Judea all the way to this place, this region called Galilee. Now, the Bible says this in John chapter 4, verse 4. I want you to read this. Everybody read this. It says, he had, come on, read it. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria. Now, any Jew alive at this time who would hear this verse would absolutely look at this verse with disgust. For Jesus, who was a Jew, to ever go through the region of Samaria, to ever walk through that area was offensive. And here's why is because the Samaritans, in the eyes of Jewish people, were subhuman. They were sublevel. They were looked down on. They're people that you don't interact with. They're people you don't talk to. They're people you don't do business with. And Jews thought they were elevated, and they thought Samaritans were beneath them. In fact, Jews had a profound prejudice against Samaritans. In fact, this profound prejudice was so great that Jews would go out of their way not to even walk through the neighborhood of the Samaritans. They would go out of the way never to touch foot in their territory. In fact, here's a map. Maybe some of you guys have seen maps like this in your Bible. 
Here's a map of the area. Most of this is the area that Jesus ministered during his three-and-a-half-year ministry on earth before he died. And if you look down here in the south, here's the region of Judea. Think about it as three counties. There was Judea, there was Samaria, and there was Galilee. And so in order to go, which is where Jesus started in Judea, in order for him to get through to, to Galilee, you would go right through the center of Samaria. But because Jews so passionately despised Samaritans, because they hate Samar- hated Samaritans so much, instead of making this 70-mile trek from Jerusalem into Galilee, they would rather go out of their way and they would go from Jerusalem to Jericho and they would follow the Jordan River down to Galilee and cut back over. They would make a 70-mile trek, a 130-mile trek that was more treacherous, more dangerous, more hot, more adverse. But the reason they did it, they said, I would rather walk 130 miles rather than walk 70 miles and be by any Samaritan. And we find that Jesus, this is so cool, this is so important. Jesus, the Bible says that he has to go through Samaria. I just want you to know, Jesus being a Jew, raised in Jewish culture, he knew the offense towards Samaritan. He knew how other Jews felt about Jews interacting with Samaritan. So when the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria, it is not talking about his limited options. It is talking about his passionate obligation. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have took the road every other Jew. When it said he had to go to Samaria, what it's saying is he had to go to Samaria because he had a mission from the Father to go where other people wouldn't go to reach people so other people wouldn't reach. And Jesus went where no one else would go because it was in Samaria that God had a person that needed God, that there was a person who needed an encounter with Jesus. And so Jesus went. And so you got to pick up, right? So imagine Jesus, they're walking, they're moving through Judea, and all of a sudden they're getting towards the boundary of Samaria. And the disciples start getting nervous. I wonder if he knows. You tell him. I'm not telling him. You tell him. Hey, man, we're we're getting close. Like, we can't go into Samaria. Nobody goes into Samaria. Oh, man, he's in Samaria. We're in some stuff now. And, like, they're afraid to say anything, but they keep following because, like, Jesus is their rabbi. Jesus is their teacher. So the disciples are getting nervous. They're getting anxious because they're in a region, in an area they shouldn't go. They're about to be around people they shouldn't be around. And, man, Jesus is on a mission. And he walks through, and if you, as you read the story of John chapter 4, he eventually sends his disciples off on a side mission to go find some food, which I'd encourage you to read, later, read it later on your own because here's why it's important. Jesus sends these racist disciples out to interact with people they don't like because anytime you follow Jesus long enough, he's going to make you confront the issues in your life. And so they go out and they got to figure out how to deal with people they don't deal with and barter with people they don't typically barter with to get food. And the Bible says that Jesus sits down at the well. And he sits there and all of a sudden at noon, the Bible says this woman comes out. And Jesus starts to have a conversation with this woman, this Samaritan woman, which this is big. Jesus isn't just talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. And she's not just a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan woman. She's, she's, she's a woman of the night. She's, a, she's one of the women of, of Beverly Hills, right? She, she's a perfect candidate for the bachelorette. She's like, she's like the community bicycle, if you know what I'm saying. She's got issues. And Jesus, he's not only talking to her, he's, just, he's talking to this woman that nobody talks to. 
This is, this, is, this is crazy. There's no way Jesus should be having this conversation. But again, Jesus is passionate about reaching people. And so he engages in this conversation, and you can read it later on your own. But as he's talking to this woman, the Bible says this. He sits down next to her, and he looks at her and says, Hey, let me get a drink of water. Because she's there at noon drawing water out of the well, which tells you how inconsequential this woman is, even as a Samaritan, right? So there are Jewish people. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. So Jesus didn't hang out with the good Jewish people. Jesus hung out with the, with the, with the sinners and the tax collectors. The tax collectors in Jewish culture were the worst of the worst. But a full-breed Jewish tax collector was better than a half-breed woman Samaritan prostitute any day of the week. And no self-respecting Jew ever talks to a Samaritan female prostitute. But there's Jesus. And he's sitting at the well, and he looks at her, and he says, hey, give me a drink. She's so aware of how odd it is that he's talking to her. She says this, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan? And then Jesus, it is awesome, because he turns from the natural things of natural water, and he flips his script to talk about spiritual things. And he says this, he says, if you knew who it was talking to you and what it is that I had to give you, you would ask me for a drink of water because the water I have for you is living water. Woo! And we figure out right away that she's a blonde. Like she might have had her hair dyed, but her roots were coming through because she's like, you, you don't have a bucket or anything. How can we get the water out of the well that you're talking about? And he says, no, no, no. If you drink that water, you're going to get thirsty again. But if you'll drink the water that I have for you, you'll never thirst again. And all of a sudden, she's getting cranked up. She's like, wait a minute. Like, maybe there's some hope here for me. But Jesus confronts, and anytime we talk to somebody about spiritual things, you can't just dive into spiritual things. You've got to meet people where they are. You've got to talk about things they're comfortable with before you flip the script and begin to engage in spiritual conversation. But as you talk to people about faith, sometimes you've got to talk about where they're at in life. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, before I can give you this spiritual water, let me tell you what's keeping you from walking in God's best. He says, hey, uh, I know that you've been married once. I mean, twice. I mean, three times. I mean, oh, wait, four times. He's like, you've been married five times. Are you kidding me? And he says, the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You've got a live-in boyfriend. And the woman changes the topic. When you, when you read it, it's awesome. She's like, hey, uh, let's talk about where the best place to worship is. Do you know why? And this is, this is true for all of us, because we don't want to talk about our issues. A lot of you want to show up in church, and you hope the preacher confuses you so you can leave confused. I'd rather just show up, and let's talk about our issues. Let's talk about, instead of like where the best place to worship is, let's talk about the summer you were up late last night looking at pornography on the Internet. See, nobody wants to talk about that. We want to change the subject. Pastor, give me some Greek and some Hebrew. I can do that, but I'd much rather talk about not the one or two beers you had last night watching the game. I'd rather talk about the one or two many that you had and you went to bed drunk. See, nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to get real about our issues. We want to kind of keep it surface and keep it weird. And Jesus, man, he gets up in this girl's chili. He says, hey, you got some issues, girl, but, but I still have a gift for you. I still have life for you. And then he goes into the story and he says this. Check it out. John chapter 4, verse 25. Read it with me. This woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Keep going. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. It's like, hey, the hope you're looking for, the peace you're looking for, 
the forgiveness you're looking for, like he's sitting with you right here at this well. And then it says this, verse 27. Read it, come on. Just then his disciples came back. So remember they were on a mission looking for food. All of a sudden they come back, watch this. They come back and Jesus, their Messiah, is talking to a Samaritan woman. And, and all of a sudden when they see it, things get real awkward. They don't know what to say. Watch this. It says, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, hey, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Nobody wanted to say anything to Jesus, but it was this real weird like, oh, hey, Jesus. It's a great day in Samaria, huh? Hey, so what's up with the girl? Like it was this real awkward thing. Nobody wanted to say, because here's why. Everybody get this. Because Jewish people thought Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. And there's no way a Jewish Messiah should ever talk to a Samaritan woman. And what Jesus wanted his disciples to know is that Jesus didn't come for Jewish people. Jesus came for all people. And when we look at the disciples and we see how racist they really were against the Samaritans, I'm just telling you, it reminds me a lot of today's church. That we just think like that, that Jesus is just for church people. Like in church is just for church people. And like Christianity is just for church people. And I want you to know that church isn't for just church people. Church is for all people. And Jesus didn't come for white, Baptist, middle class, on this side of the river people. Jesus came for white people and black people and gay people and straight people and tall people and rich people and poor people. Jesus came for the world. For God so loved the world and everybody in it. And like... The reason some of us won't share our faith is because we're uncomfortable. Like if we tell them, they might come. And we can't talk to them because I don't agree with how they're living. And I don't know if I like what the decisions are making. I want you to know something. That before I came to Christ, there was nothing about my life that glorified God. There was nothing about who I was, how I acted, how I treated people. But the Bible says, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Which means Jesus made a way for all of us when we were in our mess. And he came for us anyways. And if Jesus came for me in my mess and he came for you in your mess, then we got to be willing to recognize that Jesus is for all people. It's not for this little hub or this little bubble, this little special group. Everybody needs Jesus, which is why we got to be a church. It's reaching all people. And so watch this. So it says, just then his disciples came back. Again, they're looking at Jesus and watch how the woman responds. This is crazy. Verse 28. The woman, come on, read this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Now stop. So you got to get this picture. So she's sitting with this guy, and the more she talks, like, like she's getting hope and she's getting life. And like all of a sudden she hears, like, he's the Messiah. He's the one I've been waiting for. And all of a sudden the disciples show up, and the Bible says just then she left. See, I think, I think part of the reason she left is because she was running from the disciples. I don't know if you guys realize the predicament we're in as a nation. People have no problem with Jesus. If you talk to people about Jesus, people don't, they don't, they love Jesus. People don't have a problem with Jesus. People have a problem with Jesus' followers. People love Jesus. They just don't love us. Now, part of what they're going to say is we're hypocrites. I'm going to be the first one. I'm a hypocrite. Come on, y'all, right here. I'm a hypocrite. I don't always do what I say. I don't always do what I preach. I don't always do what he said I should do. Sometimes I miss the mark. No doubt about it, I'm a hypocrite. But I just want you to know something. 
I think when, his, when these 12 racist disciples showed up, she seen them and got nervous. And we got to be people that are willing to, willing to work through our issues and quit running people off from church and more people quit, more important, quit running people away from Christ. We got to be a church that's drawing people in and helping to reach people who are far from God. But I don't think she just ran from the disciples. The Bible says this specifically again, that she left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. Come on, here's where it picks up. Read it. Telling everyone. Here's what she told them. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Keep going. It says, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. So check this out. This woman who is an outcast, certainly in Jewish society, she's such an outcast. She's an outcast in her own society. And she has this encounter with Jesus and she finds hope and she finds life and she finds meaning and she finds forgiveness. And she is so moved by her encounter with Jesus that she does what we do when we're moved with an encounter. We go tell people about it. Hey, let me tell you about Chipotle. Let me tell you about this book I read. Let me tell you about this movie I watched. Hey, let me tell you about the Savior that changed my life. And she runs back to her town. And the Bible says she tells everybody about her encounter. And then she says, come and see. See, when we talk about this, a lot of you get nervous about ever sharing your faith because our picture is people standing with bullhorns making a lot of people uncomfortable. We picture people standing with signs at stadiums as people walk in being judgmental and condescending. And I'm just telling you, that's not the venue or the avenue we should ever try to share truth. I'm going to give you four things very quick, but I want you to hear this because here's the thing I want you to know is you got where you are in your spiritual journey with the help of somebody else. Like, come on, nobody just woke up. I mean, I don't think anybody here, nobody just woke up one day with no background and said, I'm going to church. Be-de-ding, I'm going to church. Somebody invited you. Somebody impacted you. Somebody influenced you. In the same way you got where you are because somebody reached you, I'm just telling you, we got to reach other people. The thing I want you to know in your bulletin is that found people, find people. Reached people, reach people rescued people, rescue people. And you find every time that Jesus has an encounter with somebody and he impacts their life or he brings healing or restoration, immediately they want to go tell other people. In order for us to be the church that God's called us to be, in order for us to influence this culture the way God wants us to influence, is that we have to be willing to reach people because somebody reached us. And this lady, she runs back to the village. She tells everybody she can find And she says, come and see. And the Bible says they go streaming to where she is. So I'm going to give you four things to help you to share your faith. I'm going to give you four things to help you to reach people. Number one, number one, you have to accept a personal responsibility. You got to recognize that it's your responsibility to reach people in your circle of influence. The Bible says in, in the book of Corinthians that everybody who's been reconciled to God, everybody who's found forgiveness, Everybody who's been reconciled to God now has the ministry of reconciliation, which means I'm not the only minister in the house. We are all ministers. Come on, if you've been impacted by God's love and God's grace, come on, lift it up right here. That means everybody's got a hand up saying, I'm a minister too. And you have to take personal responsibility for the people in your circle of influence. If it's not you, then who? If you don't reach them, then who does? That means somebody's got to be there. And I'm just telling you, 
There's going to be lots of reasons that you don't feel like you can or you don't feel like you should, but you got to take a personal responsibility to reach people who are far from God. Number two, not just accept a personal responsibility, but you have to develop a personal relationship. Now, this is a new way of thinking because this isn't talking about you going door to door to people you don't know. Excuse me, could I share the three spiritual laws with you, sir? No, get out, freak. Um, excuse me, ma'am, could I share the Romans role with you? No. But you know what? When you're in a relationship with somebody, relationships can bear the weight of truth. Relationships. When you know somebody, you have the opportunity to speak into their life. I just don't go tell random people on the street, hey, hey, dude, you ever been to Chipotle? Come check it out. Like, that would just be weird. Unless I'm getting paid and then I'm about it. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's weird. I don't run up to random people and be like, hey, man, if you watch Stranger Things, check it out. It's awesome. Like, I talk to normal people. I'm in a relationship. Hey, have you seen Stranger Things? Hey, have you seen Uncle Bunk? Hey, have you eaten at Chipotle? Like, it's people I'm in relationship with. And I just want you to know that as you try to share what God has done in your life, you should do it in the context of developing personal relationships. Now, the challenge for some of you in this room is all of your personal relationships are people who already know Christ. And if everybody inside of your circle of influence already knows Jesus, you need to expand your circle of influence. We are here in this world to reach people who are far from God. So find some people, some neighbors, people who live in your dorm, people you go to school with, people who are in, around your cubicle, wherever it is. You need to develop personal relationships. I know for me, several years ago, again, guys, I, I get it. Where, I'm, I'm where you are. I've been where you are. There is this tension and there is this, there is this fear that sometimes we don't know what to say and we don't know how to say it, so we back down from being people who reach people. Back when, just before I, I left Akron University and I went to um, Valley Forge Christian College, I knew God had a call in my life to preach the gospel, and so I quit the school I was in. During about five years from the end of high school into my beginning college years, I worked at a place called Finest. It was a big grocery store. It was kind of before Walmart came onto the scene. It was a union store, which means I was getting paid, right? Local 880, great place to work. And uh, man, I just, I've always loved people, man. I've always gotten along with people. And like, you could never categorize me. You couldn't say he was a burnout or he was a band nerd. Like, I've just always hung out with everybody. So in this store, like, I got along with everybody. And I built relationships with people. And it was during my time at Finest that I gave my life to Christ and Jesus changed my life. And I'll never forget, there was a young guy that worked there. His name was Rick. And Rick was this kind of tall, lanky, goofy kid, right? But I just had a heart for him. He was a good kid. I knew he probably didn't have a lot of friends at school. There was a group of people that liked him at work. But I remember Rick, man, he fell in love with this girl at our workplace. And she was way out of his league. I mean, there's no way Rick is going to get with her. But, man, he was all about her. It's all he talked about. And so, like, I wanted to help Rick, like, just try to be a better person. Like, he dressed goofy. So I said, Rick, listen, man, get some money. I'm going to take you out, and we're going to get some clothes. I'm going to show you how to dress. And anybody remember the movies, like, where they take the goofy girl in school, and they dress her up, and all of a sudden she's beautiful? Anybody seen those movies? It's kind of like that, but once I got Rick dressed, he was just dressed better, but he was still tall, lanky, and goofy. And so he asked her out, and, you know, she turned him down, rejected him. And, but here's the thing. In all my time with Rick, like I kept feeling the Lord pulling my heart to share Christ with him. Like I just kept feeling Jesus, like, tell him about me. He doesn't need a girlfriend. He needs me. And here was a kid who didn't have a lot. He didn't have a lot of friends. He didn't have a lot of relationships. 
But man, I knew every time I was around him, I felt like God pulling me to reach this kid. And like I get nervous and think I don't know enough. What am I going to say to him? And I just kept convincing myself, maybe later, maybe some other time. I can't do it. Let someone else do it. And like I just kept backing down. And I'll never forget the last time I seen Rick. I was just before I had gotten saved, I was drinking and driving and wrecked into a building. So I lost my driver's license for six months. So I get to the end of my shift. I'm not driving. So I'm waiting for my parents to come pick me up for my shift. I'm standing outside at the end of the building. And I remember Rick coming out. His shift ended about the same time and he was going to get in his car. And I remember as clear as I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, say, tell Rick, tell Rick about me, tell Rick about me. And then, man, my heart was beating out of my chest. And like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I'll never forget watching Rick walk across the parking lot and get into his car. And about two days later, I got a phone call from a lady that we knew at work and Rick had committed suicide. And like that haunts me. Like I had the answer. Like I had the hope he needed. And I was too afraid. I was too stupid. I was too embarrassed to share Jesus with Rick. And I remember not long after that, I was reading my Bible. And in Matthew chapter 25, there's a story and Jesus talks about at the end in eternity, there's going to be two lines of people. There's going to be like the lambs and the goats. The lambs are the people that, that know Christ and have accepted his grace. And the goats are those who don't know him. And the Bible says those are the ones that are cast into hell. And I remember reading that. I still have my first Bible and his name's written there. And I could picture Rick in my mind saying, why didn't you tell me? And like, I don't have a good reason. Like, there's no reason. And so I've just determined, like, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to back down. That when I come across somebody who's far from God, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know all the scriptures. But what I can do is I can tell them about what Jesus has done for me. And some of you have friends and relationships and family members that I can't reach but you can. And don't ever put yourself in the situation where one day they'll look at you in eternity and say, why didn't you tell me? So develop a personal relationship. Number three, share your personal story. Share your personal story. Like, again, you don't have to have all the answers. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Is there anybody in this room that you found hope you found grace, you found meaning, you found peace, you found, you found forgiveness. Is there anybody here that Jesus has done something for you? Come on, lift your hand up to Jesus. Then you got a story that you were at this place, God showed up and moved you, changed you, healed you, freed you up. You have a personal story. And number four is give a personal invitation. Just invite him. See, here's what this woman did. The Bible says that after her encounter with Jesus, she went and told the people her personal story. Hey, I found this guy. I think he's the Messiah. This is what he did for me. And then she said this, come and see. Your, your job is this. Take personal responsibility for people in your circle of influence who are far from God. 
build personal relationships where you can share truth with them. As you do that, you want to make sure you share just your personal story. Tell them what God has done for you. And then give them a personal invitation. Go and tell to come and see. Everybody say that. Go and tell, come and see. That's all you got to do. Go and tell them what Jesus has done and invite them to come and see. The Bible says the woman went and said, come and see. And the Bible says, watch this, they came streaming out of the village. You'd be shocked how many people would come if you would invite them. You'd be shocked how many people would show up and be your guests if you just invite them. And here's the deal. You ready? I'll make a deal with you. If you'll do your best to share your story with people inside of your circle of influence and you'll get them here, I'll do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to present the gospel in a clear way where they can experience the same Jesus I have and the same Jesus you have and we'll partner together and we'll win people for Jesus and we'll change this culture and we'll change this society. So the woman runs off, right? And the disciples, they're blown. They still can't believe that Jesus was talking to this woman. And here's what Jesus says, last couple verses before we close. Watch this. Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and says this. Hey, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. Like you guys still say that to your friends, right? Hey guys, you know the saying, right? Four months. Yeah, we don't say that anymore. But it was just a saying then. Basically, it was a way of saying, hey, you have to be patient and wait for the harvest. You got to plant seed and be patient. The harvest will come in. So Jesus is, is trying to use their excuse for being patient. Watch what he says. He says, you know the saying, again, four months between planting and harvest. Watch this. But I say, come on, y'all got to shout this. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. What Jesus is saying is all of you that are making excuses for your friends and family members, they're not ready yet. They're not ready to change yet. They're not going to give up alcohol. They're not going to give up their girlfriend. They're not going to change. They're never going to come to church. They're just not ready yet, God, or I would share. He says, listen, the harvest, watch this, the harvest isn't waiting to be a harvest. He's saying the harvest is waiting on us. The harvest, they're ready to come. We just got to be willing to go. And then he says this, verse 36, the harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Last verse. It says again, you know the saying. Here's another saying. One plants and another harvests. And it's true. Here's what he's saying. If you'll take personal responsibility, build personal relationships, share your personal story, and make personal invites, there's a chance that person may still not come to Christ. But he's saying, you know what happened? You planted a seed. And if you'll plant a seed and you'll plant a seed and you'll plant a seed and I'll plant some seeds, eventually, you know what's going to happen? One of us gets to be the one to lead them to Jesus. But the goal is you're not less of a person because they didn't respond to you. You did your job as a seed person. I'll do my job as a harvest person, which means this. When you go and tell and invite them to come and see, your job is not to be the person to convince them who Jesus is. Your job is just to be a witness. You know what a witness does in court? A witness just tells the jury what they've seen and heard. This is what I, it's not your job. It's, it's the attorney's job to convince the jury. Our job just to tell people about Jesus. And so here's the, here's the invite I want to give you today is I want you to in, partner with me for you to reach your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family for Christ. 
Next Sunday is what we call fall launch here at Faith Church. Every fall is a great time of the year. People are getting out of their summer routines of traveling and being busy. They're getting back into a regular routine. Most people during this time of the year get back in church and people who have not been in church, this is the best time of the year to get people who've never been in church. This is what statistics say. This is the best time of the year to get people who've never been in church in church. So we're gonna leverage this opportunity. This week, we're sending 25,000 postcards into houses all over this area, inviting them to come back next week to be a part of our series, Games Families Play. Because here's what I know. People may not like church. They may not like church people, but everybody wants a better family.